You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season three, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for season three is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. Hey, hello everybody. I'm Leonie Bannister and I'm your host for season three of our OEA Grow podcast. In this season, we're learning about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. And today we are joined by Amanda Coven. Amanda Coven is the Director of Education at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me today. Yes, we're excited that you're here. Could you take a moment to just introduce yourself and tell us about your work at the as Director of Education? Yeah, so I work at the museum. I started in fall of 2018. Um, I moved here from the East Coast. I'm a former middle school math teacher who had a quarter-life crisis and then came back to history absolutely loving it. Um, So I've been at the museum three and a half years now, working with educators across the state to implement Senate Bill 664, so teaching about the history of the Holocaust. And it is by far the best job I have ever had. I love working with every single audience person that I have come across, um, and I look forward to continuing doing this work well into the future. That's awesome. I love that. Tell us a little bit about Senate Bill 664. So Senate Bill 664 um, has a very, very long history. It um, probably got its first inklings way back in the 90s when survivors of the Holocaust really thought it was important to teach about this history. For a variety of reasons, it didn't take hold. Um, So survivors had been advocating for this bill for decades already. Then in, um, in 2014, 2016-ish, the museum took a look at education and worked with teachers. And again, the timing wasn't quite right then as well. Um, and then fortunately, there was a young student at Lake Ridge High School who had listened to a survivor and became really passionate about this history. She contacted her state rep, who also took it under his wing, both of these people not Jewish, which just you know, adds to the importance of the cause when non-Jewish people are advocating for Jewish history. Um, And then really my second week on the job, I got um, a visit from that state rep along with my boss who said, let's make a mandate. And so my first months on the job were crafting the language for this mandate. Um, And it passed in 2019. And now it's been put into effect. So there's always a little bit of uh, confusion around the mandate and what it means. So I'll just like clarify that really quickly here. Yeah, please do. That's really good for us to hear. Yeah. So as it states right now, this is a K-12 mandate. And when I wrote that mandate, I know how important it is for elementary teachers to teach foundational principles and concepts that will better prepare students to tackle difficult histories in middle school and high school. So a lot of like K-5 teachers have been like, you want me to teach about this history in second grade? No, no, I do not. But we want you to be talking about like, how do we talk about race? Not even about um, 
about the histories, but just like, what about this concept of race? How do we forgive each other? Like, that's a major concept. What are rules for? These are all things that come into play on a much more critical and and um, sorry, on a much more critical and global level mm-hmm. in middle school and middle school and high school history classes. So the second thing is, is this mandate has nine learning concepts between when it passed in 2020 to 2026 when the standards are revised for social science. So in 2026 is when all of these learning concepts will now be integrated into specific grade level standards in social science. So we've got the next couple of years as a softer rollout in mm-hmm. a sense. And I've been working a lot with teachers and TOSAs and district admin to figure out where do these histories um, nicely overlap with current standards and the histories that are being shared. So that's something I've been working on. And again, there's just been a lot of misunderstanding about what this means in every single grade level. And so I always like to start off with just clarifying some of those points. No, that, that's great clarification and so much information. That was really good and informative. So you you spoke about the foundational concepts, um, my understanding, pretty much like at the elementary level. Could you share a little bit about what's happening at the middle and high school level? So middle school and high school, um, I've been working with a couple of TOSAs around the state to help me understand how it's fitting in. Because again, as a former math teacher, I didn't teach history. I'm not Mm -hmm. from this state. So it's also a learning curve for me to see what histories are already being taught. So for example, in seventh grade, we're looking at a lot about human rights Mm -hmm. and human rights abuses. So colonization, Um, and things like that, how do those intersect together? So it's a much more bigger, broader framework of like, how do we understand human rights throughout history Mm -hmm. in middle school? High school is more so when we get into the, into the actual, um, sorry, until we get into the actual specifics. Mm -hmm. So in a U.S. history course, you're going to learn about the Holocaust through the lens of U.S. history when we got involved with the, with the, sorry, with the Second World War. And then in world studies, you're obviously going to learn about the Holocaust through the lens of like European history. And then sometimes in government classes, we can learn about democracy and how a democracy unfolded during Nazi Germany and approach it through that lens. And and really, again, analyzing the role of law in a society that is a democracy. So there's lots of different ways to approach the same history through different lenses that just adds so much more depth to it. Mm -hmm. Rather than in other states or in the past, you're learning the same kind of surface level facts about the history over and over and over again. And that is not what we want. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to take the next four years to work with teachers to be like, how can we approach the same or similar histories through different lenses just to add that depth. Yeah, it it sounds like it's reminding me of the concept of multiple perspectives, like it's weaving in that that different and alternate perspective just to create like a richer narrative of what what our history is. So that's that's really, really interesting and inspiring to think as our students are going through K-12 that they're going to get a 
a much broader perspective. And I'd say the, the one other thing I would add to that is yeah. also looking at patterns between histories. Mm. So we really didn't want this to be a bill that was only about the Holocaust. We mm-hmm. really wanted it to be more genocide inclusive, which is mm-hmm. a weird term to say. Sure. But we think it's really important that like the Holocaust is a history of extreme mass violence, but it is not the only history of of, sorry, of extreme mass violence. And so if we really want to prevent this, we really need to understand how mass violence unfolds in lots of different places mm-hmm. and look at where those patterns are so we can better be prepared to you know, fight them. Yeah, totally. Now, when I, I'm thinking about the, the topics of you know genocide and violence and responsibility that certain parties or individuals and groups take. How have teachers navigated that or or the tension that that may or could create in a classroom in a responsible way? I'm just thinking from the perspective of like a welcoming, safe and inclusive classroom. How are students experiencing that content? It's important content and not something that we should shy away from, but how are they handling that in in a way that creates a safety for all of the kids or students that are in the class? So there are definitely lots of trauma-informed measures and practices that teachers can and should take before they teach any difficult history. Mm -hmm. So you can contract, you can Um, Check in with students. Often when I go into a class, I'll just say on one hand, on a one to five, tell me how you are doing today. Mm -hmm. And if you are getting lots of ones and twos, then you should really not be going into like the graphic brutality of what happened because they are not in a space to comprehend that at Mm -hmm. that day. That doesn't mean you can't do it on a different day, but we have to be flexible and meet our students where they are at. I got lots of emails during the pandemic from teachers that were like, our students are just so traumatized right now. I don't know if I could introduce them to more trauma. And I can definitely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And what I had responded back to them is sometimes for students, it can be refreshing to understand how people coped with trauma and how they persisted through the trauma and came out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So that's not to say that all survivors of all mass violence have made it, have thrived, have done that. But there is something to say that we can all be together in a space of like, bad things happen to good people. Mm -hmm. And, And people are resilient. And what can we learn from survivors' resilience to help us get through our own difficult time. So again, it's just a little bit of retweaking the history, not changing it, but saying, what do I need to focus on this year to connect with my students? Right. Um, and so obviously there's just a ton of trauma-informed practices of we don't want to place students in um, in a lesson of telling them to be like, what would you do if? How would you feel if? Like Those are just not things that they need to be able to comprehend, or some of them do already comprehend. I have made those mistakes many times when right. I started. Yeah. <laughs> just learned. I was like, that is not, it's not engaging. It doesn't help them. It only shuts them down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's more like having a conversation and, and keeping it to the level that 
the students can kind of digest or understand almost like on a day-to-day kind of like you're assessing where your your classroom is or wherever your learners are for the day. You mentioned something um, when you began speaking about some trauma-informed strategies and you called it a contract. Could you just expand upon that a little bit? I'm curious to know what that is from your perspective. Yeah, so Facing History and Ourselves, which is an amazing resource that all teachers teaching hard history should definitely uh, visit. They have really great contracts already available for you, so you don't have to come up with it on your own, but you can tweak them. And often it is if histories are too difficult or you feel yourself becoming really like, oh my gosh, this is hard, it it is an opportunity to remind students that people... Uh, respond to difficult histories in lots of different ways. And so if you need to, please come up to me. I will check in with you. It is like, as, as your teacher, here's how I'm going to be there for you. And as my student, here's what I need you to do to let me know how mm-hmm. you are feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's also just like, when you're dealing with difficult histories, it's how do we respond when other people are really struggling? We're not going to make fun of them. We're not going to poke through. We aren't going to blame victims. Like that's one that I would put in there. Mm -hmm. Um, We aren't going to play like the what if game and like defend perpetrators in a sense. Mm -hmm. So there are different little things that you can put in there for different grade levels that help students understand how they can show up to class and what they can expect of you as their teacher to, to, to support them. Yeah, I mean, it's not, what you're describing, too, can be transferred over to many conversations. I mean, the difficult histories, lessons, and conversations that come from those, that those are critical components to having a, a productive and, you know, a great learning opportunity for students. But also, I could feel like that could help with problem solving and, and you know, just coming up with compromises with different things that come up. So that's awesome. One thing I'm thinking about as you're speaking is for teachers who themselves may struggle with teaching difficult histories, do you have any tips for them? How, how can they stay centered and or, you know, um, regulated and in a place where they can share this very important information with their students? I'd say first and foremost, be very honest with your students as well. Let them know that you are human and you have your own background um, and that learning about histories like this can also be really difficult on you. Mm. And I think that's really comforting to students to be like, oh my gosh, my teacher also, like this is hard for them too, which means it's okay if it's hard for me, but we can do hard things together. And as long as we're all sharing together and supporting, like there are going to be days where I need somebody else to like be strong for me. And that's how we get through really, really hard times. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I'd be like, be honest with your students. Um, But secondly, I think letting your counselor know that you're teaching these, like in any hard history of any hard history of mass violence is really, really critical. Many Mm -hmm. teachers, most teachers are not trained counselors. (laughs) Please utilize your counselors in your school to let them know about students or yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, plan for things that bring you joy. 
throughout that unit. Like there's never, like I watch sometimes like Christmas movies are my favorite. I'm Jewish and just get me a bad Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> it just, it, it makes me feel better. Yeah. So any of those tiny things that bring you joy, it's going out for a walk, being with your child, your pet, your whatever, mm-hmm. make sure that you plan for those. And I'd say also processing time. Mm. Always plan for processing time at the beginning and at the end of any class. Also for yourself. Mm-hmm. Use that time to process for yourself. Those are really good tips. Honestly, excellent. I feel like I can relate to every single one of those. And I appreciate what you said about utilizing your counselor, not because, not just because I'm a counselor, but it reminds me that... Um, we've been framing out some of our health education and our child sexual abuse prevention lessons as sensitive topics. I mean, it's necessary and it is sensitive. And I wonder too, if these difficult, these lessons around difficult histories um, could also be framed as sensitive topics in the sense that you may need an extra support um, after or during these lessons. And just so teachers and staff understand that this is complex information and students are going to respond in many different ways and teachers as well. So I appreciated you framing it out that way. I think our listeners will too. So it's really funny because when I first meet people and tell them what I do, their first response is, interesting. (laughs) I do that every day. I mean, it's a really great question to ask. And what I've shared with them is one, when I teach about the, uh, about the, sorry, when I teach about the Holocaust, um, I find it really motivating because of how I get to connect with students and challenge them to think critically and to get them to know that they are the change. Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher as well, whenever you're teaching any difficult history, there needs to be really sound, strong rationale for you to be teaching it. And so if you're like, I don't know what it is, then call me. We can talk about it. Actually, at the OEA conference this summer, we're doing an entire session on rationale. We love it. These are things that I find really important too, that often is overlooked. Most teachers don't have the time to sit and think about that. And it's like, this is what's next in my unit. So I'm just going to teach it. So for me, I had to sit for years with like my, my, with, with my why I do this is in order for me not to get bogged down in all of the trauma, because it's what I talk about every single day. That's right. I can imagine. Yeah. You've got to be pretty centered in your why to bring yourself back to a centered place so that you can keep doing this. And we sure appreciate you doing it. I can tell you're passionate and so educated and it's awesome. We're all better because of it. Where can people find you, Amanda? Like where could we get some of your amazing support and resources? So you can find me at the museum. Um, so where is the museum? So we're located at 724 Northwest Davis Street in Portland. And actually, I can share it with you all today because we just finished it up yesterday. Uh, We'll be having two free educator weeks over the summer. So the last week in July, I believe it's the week of July 28th. And then the week of August 8th is going to be free... um, Free at free admission to the museum. We'll be doing um, an educate in a tour 
one day for educators during the week of July 28th, and then a speaker presentation with Holocaust survivors the week of August 8th. And we've partnered up with a couple of other organizations in the Portland area. So the Japanese American Museum of Oregon, Lansu Chinese Gardens, Piddock Mansion, and Oregon Historical Society. So all of us will be having free educator admission for those weeks. So you can always come down and find us there. Otherwise, um, you can always email me. My email is acoven, A-C-O-V-E-N, at ojmche.org, or just visit the museum website, ojmche.org, and you'll find lots of educational materials on there. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And you, you and the museum will be at the OEA Summer Conference. Absolutely. So excited for that. We're doing That's great. Sessions. Cool. That's great. I'm sure some of our listeners will appreciate, appreciate that. So before we end today, um, I, I just want to thank you so much and also ask you, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Anything that you think we, um, we need to know? So I know that one of the things that I think is really important when teaching about difficult histories is a couple of things. One is that we want to make sure that we humanize that targeted population. And so too often, Jewish American students only learn about their identity through that of the Holocaust or the like thousands of years of like persecution. So it's really important that we talk and teach about the vitality and this really like diversity of Jewish history, life, and culture. So our museum, the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education, it's critical that we balance those two things out. So a lot of Jewish students are struggling in today's atmosphere with feeling welcome and included and safe in their schools. Anti-Semitism is so complicated because it looks different on the left and the right. And I'm not going to get into like the politics of which one is worse because they are equally as harmful in Mm -hmm. different ways and they work in tandem with each other. So while one side um, proposes violence against Jewish people that we see in synagogues, in public, at work, at school with swastikas and hailing Hitler's as a joke and things like that. The other side downplays any violence against Jewish people because Jewish people are reduced to being privileged, to being white. And I put white in quotations because according to white nationalists, Jewish people are not white. So the two of these together make it really difficult for Jewish students to feel welcomed, included, and safe in their schools. So I just feel like it's important to mention that as we're talking about persecution of Jewish people on a global scale. And in our communities, our Jewish students are really, really struggling to find their place and find their supports. And they often feel like they have to be put in a place where they're where they have to support um, groups of people that are being harmed. And then yet when Jewish people are harmed, those same groups that they stand up for are not standing up for them. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is one thing that is important to mention. And then just other, um, I guess two other things. Sorry, I know that this is so long now. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. I, I wonder too, it makes me think when, 
as we've spoken almost the entire time about difficult histories, we also have to talk about the, like you use the word vitalities, creating a comprehensive look at, at history and honoring the tragedy and the struggle of the Holocaust and the discrimination of Jewish and Jewish American people, but also offering a space to celebrate, you know, the positive parts of being Jewish and Jewish American. Cause you're right. It's, it, it has to be a balance. And yet it also, it's, it's gotta be a very delicate kind of space to, to be where you want to kind of honor both sides of it without, you know, we've always got to be careful with our, our students who are Jewish or Jewish American in the classroom. It's, it's probably hard. And I think that's where the phrase both and is the most valuable for teachers. You can Mm. be like, people can be both, both persecuted and experience joy. So for one Mm. of our plans about resistance during, no, about the Loge ghetto, Mm -hmm. um, a teacher in Albany come back to me because there's photographs by a Jewish photographer in the ghetto of people celebrating birthdays. And the kids were like, so it wasn't that bad? And she was like, oh no, it was horrible. And how do people persist and how are they resilient even in the most difficult of times? So teaching students this like this complexity of holding multiple things at the same time cannot be underestimated. Right. It's that's such a good point. It's not a binary experience of either good or bad. It can be both. <laughs> and that that goes the same with with people who actually like who who actually part sorry. This is the same for people who actually part partook in this history is People are not just victims. People are not just perpetrators. They are not born good and evil. These are people making complex moral choices. Some of them obviously horrible choices, mm-hmm. but there it's not this binary of good and bad. And right. as I look at our state right now of our country, I see a lot of just binaries. Yeah. And that is really concerning for history as mm-hmm. well. Because if that's how we look back, as it is just good or bad, then it makes it very difficult for us to talk to each other and live with each other without violence. Yeah. So I do just want to mention one other resource that might be helpful. Yeah, please do. And that is the National Museum of American Jewish History. That's really great for teaching about Jewish history in general. Obviously, at the museum, we have resources. And then there's lots of Holocaust resources out there as well that we recommend on our website. So, but I know for speaking specifically about Jewish history, it's a wonderful museum in Philadelphia that has really great resources that can actually be extrapolated out to talk about immigration more broadly. And you can compare and contrast immigration by different groups and communities. Again, not to say which which group had it easier but to say, why do different people have different immigration experiences? Mm. And that's an important question to ask. Right. You're not saying, well, Jews had it easier because they look white, because one, not all Jewish people are white. So let's <laughs> point that out there. <laughs> yeah, there we go again with the like very kind of like simplistic perspective. And it's usually most things are more complex than they're presented, right? Yeah. 
Anything else that you want to share with us today? I guess when I'm thinking about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools and teaching about difficult histories, if you have students bringing up a question that you do not know how to answer or you find potentially offensive, please forward that question to me. That's Mm -hmm. our job at our museum in a space where students should feel safe asking that question or getting a response from us. So just last week, I had a student come in for a field trip and she said, I'm a little bit nervous to ask this question because I feel like it might be offensive. And she's like, are you Jewish? I said, yes. She's like, uh, and I was like, ask it. This is the right place to ask the question. And she said, um, I've heard sometimes that Jewish people have no soul. Where do people get that information from? What does that mean? Hmm. And I was so grateful that she asked that question in our museum Mm -hmm. because that's the right place to ask it. It's not the right place to ask it to a Jewish person that they randomly meet on the street or even their friend. At our museum is that right space. Or even if you have, I'm just going to give one other student example because I think teachers might actually like be like, oh my gosh, I've, I've had a student do that before. Right. Yeah, no, totally. Please. So I always ask the question, why do people participate in the harm of others? It's a really important student. Uh, it's a really important question for students to grapple with because we are all capable of doing lots of harm. And this one student in a school that I worked at this year shot his hand up and said, for fun. I had asked this question multiple times before to hundreds of different students, and I had never gotten that response. And that is a response that you immediately go to a counselor after that class has ended. Mm -hmm. And so as you're being trauma-informed and thinking about how do we make inclusive, welcoming spaces, sometimes it is you have to be prepared for answers that may be disturbing to you. And you need to know that there are people there to support you. You do not have to do this on your own. Counselors, museums, elsewhere, who can help you navigate those responses or questions. That's great. No, I mean, those those interactions with students are, you know, that both of those questions require multiple stakeholders to create an answer that is best for the kids or, you know, the, the fun answer that you received is like, okay, we we definitely need to get a few more people clued in here to ensure that this is a safe, welcoming and inclusive place for everybody. So I appreciate that. Well, Amanda, I want to thank you for your time. You're doing very important and very interesting work. And I I hope we get to see each other and, and have you on here again, because it would be great to learn more from you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.